0: Good morning everyone and welcome to our morning service. Uh, Let us begin by worshipping God and singing to his praise in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 from the Scottish Psalter from verse 1 to verse 10. At all times I will bless the Lord, I'll praise him with my voice, because I glory in the Lord, let troubled souls rejoice. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge that it is a great privilege that you have given to us. We acknowledge that many of our brothers and sisters don't have this freedom and this opportunity. But we thank you, Lord, that we have a place that we can meet and that we have Brothers and sisters who are like-minded, people that are your children and that are part of our families, that uh, desire with us for your name to be praised, for you to be exalted, for you to have all the glory. And, O Lord, we pray that as we gather for worship that you would give us of your spirit and that he would lead us in our singing, in our praying. In our meditation of your word, we ask, O oh Lord, that he would deliver our minds from all earthly concerns, or sinful thoughts. And that we might focus on you. That our eyes would be turned towards the Lord Jesus. That he would be uh, the center of this meeting. And that we would delight in his presence and in his glory. O oh Lord, we cannot worship you in a perfect way. Uh, we need your spirit so that we can exalt your name above all other names. Make us sincere in our worship. Enable us to worship and to sing with grace in our hearts and to do all things in a manner that are pleasing to you. We confess our sins to you, we confess our unworthiness. We confess our failings with our thoughts, with our words and with our deeds. We plead that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us from all sins. That you, O God, would forget our sins and cast them behind your back. And that you would deal with us not as we sin. Remember, O Lord, that we are dust. Look upon us not for what we are in ourselves, but as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We pray for those in this congregation who are still unconverted, who are still without Christ. And we ask, O Lord, that you would speak to them, that you would implore them, and that you would uh, beseech them even this morning to be reconciled with God. Have mercy upon them, give them of your Spirit, so that their eyes may be opened, their hearts moved, and made willing uh, by your power uh, to uh, bow down their knees before the Lord Jesus and confess him to be Lord and God. We pray for those of us who are your people, and we ask, O Lord, that you would meet with us in all our needs. We pray for those who need to be encouraged, that you, O God, would speak words of comfort for them. For those who are maybe finding difficult to follow you, who are maybe uh, tempted uh, by the the world. And we ask, O Lord, that you would um, bring them back to you, that you, O God, would strengthen them and revive them in their faith in Christ. We pray, O Lord, for um, your mercy to be shown to your people, how we need to be comforted, how we need to be encouraged. We are often weary by the battle. We are often tired by uh, trials and tribulations. We have nowhere else where to go. You are the only one who has words of eternal life. So we pray, O Lord, that you would remember your promise. That you would come among us this morning. That you would meet with us. That you would bless us with your presence. Bless us with your word. Bless us with your spirit. We pray, O Lord, that... We will be uh, comforted and excited by spending this short time in the presence of God. May we leave this place knowing that it was good for us to be here. May we experience what the two disciples experienced on the road to Emmaus. When their hearts burned within them as the Lord spoke to them about himself. We pray that you will be glorified and that your people will be blessed. Bless us, O God. Have mercy upon us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me speak to the children. Now, let me say I'm not very good at this, but we'll give it a try. Um, Now, I've prepared a a picture. I think there it is. Um, Now, this is probably an old cartoon. I don't know how many of you remember this. I think I was living in Massabra, in the south of Scotland, when we saw this movie. And, and this is a, a Disney movie, and these five characters are uh, emotions. Uh, so the, one of, the purple one is called Fear, and that's me, I'm always afraid. The red one, the short one, is Wrath, and that's me again. Um, then in the middle there is Joy, and that's not me. Um, Then, very right, my left, there is the green one and she's disgust. Again, that's me. Uh, And then the blue one, that's called sadness. And again that's me. Um, Now, in the story, uh, these are the feelings within the head of of a girl, of a young girl. And they moved away from Montana, I think, and they go to California and she's not happy. So the, the, guy, the, the girl in the middle, Joy, she tries to make this girl happy. She does all she can to make this girl happy. And nothing works. And the only way for this girl to be happy is for sadness, the gloomy little one, to do something. And so as the girl becomes sad and more sad, she becomes to be happy. She learned how to be happy. Now joy tries to take away the problems. Joy tries to make the life as easy as possible so that the girl can be happy. But only when she experiences a bit of sadness when she deals with sadness that she learns to be truly happy. Now this is what God does sometimes in our lives. God allows trials and sadness in in our mind so that in our life that we can experience true joy we think that the only way for us to be happy is to be problem free we try to avoid all the problems as parents that's what we try to do with you we try to take away all the difficulties so that you can be happy and yet in God's providence sometimes God allows difficult things in our lives and through those things God makes us happy it's not very intuitive, and yet it is sometimes through sadness that God gives us through joy. And the Bible says that God um, works the good of his people through all things. All things work together for good. Everything, happy things and sad things, are part of God's way for us to have eternal happiness. Now let us sing to God's praise from Psalm 51. It's the sing Psalms version that we're going to sing. We'll sing from verse 1 to verse 12. Oh my God, have mercy on me in your steadfast love I pray. In your infinite compassion my transgressions wipe away. Cleanse me from iniquity wash my sin away from me Thank you Let us worship God by reading in his word in Isaiah chapter 40 Isaiah chapter 40 Let us hear the word of God Comfort, comfort my people, says your God Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the water in the whole of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weigh the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman castes it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for his silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. And we pray for God's blessing to accompany the public reading of his word. And we'll sing now from Psalm 80. From verse 1 to verse 7. Hear, O Israel, shepherd, hear us. Joseph, like a flock you lead, you who are enthroned in glory. Shine upon us in our need. Now attend with me in the chapter of God's word that we read earlier on, Isaiah chapter 40. And the text for our meditation this morning is in verse 9, where we read, Go on on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold, your God. And with God's help, the these final words of verse nine are the words I want to focus on. Where uh, Jerusalem is given the sermon to preach to the cities of Judah. And the sermon is Behold your God. Now the context for this is that the first 39 chapters of the book are chapters where God speaks both word of challenges, word of challenge and word of encouragement. In the first 39 chapters, uh, Judah and Jerusalem are in danger because of Assyria. Assyria is the great enemy, the great risk. And the kings in Jerusalem try different ways to be free from this problem. And God's warning and God's challenge to his people is, don't trust in the help of men, don't trust in the wisdom of men, but trust in the grace and the power of God. And at the end of chapter 39, sadly we see that, the people of God, and even the king who led the people, failed. They failed to trust in God. They trust in Babylonia, they trust in men, rather than trusting in God. And because of this, God tells Hezekiah, the king in Jerusalem, that because of their unfaithfulness, the people of Judah will be taken into captivity. So in many ways, the first 39 chapters, although there are beautiful gems of encouragement, it's, it's very bleak, and it's very uh, sad, because it shows that despite the faithfulness of God, the people are unfaithful. And because of their unfaithfulness, they pay a very high price. And yet, like often happens in this book, and in scripture, out of nowhere, in the darkest moment of God's people experience, God has a message of hope. And so after telling Hezekiah that his children and his people will be taken into captivity, at the beginning of verse or chapter 40, God says, Comfort my people. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. And then From verse 9, the words that are going to comfort God's people are presented. So, the introduction is with imperative. God tells his prophets to comfort his people, to encourage his people. And then from verse 9, God gives the prophets the words how to encourage the people. You might say that the life of the ministry of a prophet was easier than a preacher today. Because a preacher today has to prepare his sermon. We have to work on the text and learn what God means and then present that message to the people. But in the case of Isaiah and the prophets of old, they are actually given the sermon. What to say to people. And what the prophet is told here, is the content. But something also happens in verse 9, and the message that God wants to be preached, is not simply given to Isaiah or to some other prophet, but is given to Zion, is given to Jerusalem. It is not Isaiah who is an herald of good news, but Jerusalem. Zion is an herald of good news. And so, it's not that a prophet or a minister is given a message to preach, but a city, a people, is given the responsibility to speak for God. And therefore, the church of God has a message. God has given to us a message. And the message that we have to preach to the cities of Judah is, Behold your God. So, the message that the church has for those around us is a revealing message. It's a message that points to God That points to the Lord That reveals to the people Who God is Part of our message Is to make God known To let people know Who God is His character His attributes His works His will His salvation And so when we Proclaim the message of God as a church we are proclaiming to people who God is when we worship God on a Sunday morning when we gather for worship when we sing God's praises we are revealing who God is the unconverted people in our congregation hear the truth about God God is revealed to them As we speak highly of God, as we exalt God, as we point them to God, they come to know who God is. But as we reveal God in our message, we're also warning people about God. Behold your God. As we speak who God is, there is an element of challenge. This is your God, not someone else. He is the one you are supposed to worship and praise. Know someone else. He is the one you are called to be devoted to and loyal to and know someone else. He is God. To Him alone, you have to be faithful, loyal and obedient. There is an end of challenge. Is the God that you serve, the God of the Bible, is He your God? But then there is also an element of proclamation. Uh, In verse 9, when Jerusalem is called to uh, be herald of good news, they are told to do it with strength, without fear. Uh, And the idea here is that Jerusalem has to be bold in its proclamation. Jerusalem has to be fearless in its proclamation. And, and, and the idea here is that of, of courage, is that of strength, is that of authority. The church has a message from God. And if this message is from God, as we claim, then we have to proclaim His message. Boldly, forcefully, clearly, strongly, with authority. Not because we, as church, have authority and powers in ourselves, but because of the God that we proclaim. Because of the God that is the message, the center of our message. There is an element of imperative, of strength. Behold your God. It comes with strength. It's not an option, it's not something that can be done or rejected or neglected. It's something that has to be done. Behold your God. And yet this message that is given to the church is encouraging. Good news. Jerusalem is a herald of good news. And therefore when the message is behold your God Is not to threaten the people of God And not to scare the people of God Is to encourage them This is the good news Jerusalem This is the good news for the cities of Judah And the message that God has for his people is Behold your God And in the original the idea is Here is your God not just look to him, but here he is. At the beginning of the chapter, a prophet is called to cry in the wilderness that, the, that God is coming, that the Lord is on its way. Prepare the way, for God is coming. But here the message has changed. The message now is he's here, the Lord is near. And and that's the encouragement. Now for, for the world, the idea of God coming is a fearful idea. For the unbeliever, the idea that God is near is a fearful thought. If we're honest, for us as Christians sometimes, the idea of God coming close to us, it's a fearful idea. But this message that God is near is not to scare us, it's to encourage us. God has come. We sang in Psalm 80 how the people of God plead for God to hear their prayers and for God to come to their rescue. And what Jerusalem is saying to the people is, God is coming. God is here. Look to him. Behold your God. And so you see the book of Revelation ends, Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the Apostle Paul salutes the churches often with that encouraging words, The Lord is near, the Lord is coming. That's not to scare and challenge the people, but to encourage them. Your enemies will be defeated. All the troubles will soon be over. God, the one who has come to save his people from Egypt, is now coming to save you. From all your enemies. So the church message is an encouraging message. It's a positive message. It's a message of hope. Behold your God. That's the message. This is the message that we have to proclaim. But this idea of behold your God. Is not just the message that we have to proclaim as church. This is also the meditation of God's church. God is the theme of our thinking, of our meeting, of our worship, of our fellowship. Behold your God. And after saying these words, the the, the prophet is inspired to speak about God's attributes. And so from verse twelve especially God is compared with the idols that are worshipped by other peoples, by other nations. And God is revealed as vastly superior, much greater than all the gods and all the idols that are worshipped by men. He is the everlasting God. He is great and the nations before him are like grasshoppers. Everything disappears in his presence. Everything lasts for a very short time. But he lasts forever. Even his word lasts forever. God is proclaimed. Behold your God. and, And therefore God is described and presented and painted before the eyes of God's people. And by doing that, the people of God are encouraged to think about God, to meditate about God, to consider God's character and God's being. And how little, friends, we do this. God reveals Himself to encourage His people. God comes to His people so that we can be encouraged by His presence, by His person. Behold your God. Look to Him. That's the message. Look to Him. Behold Him. Trust in Him. And yet we do so little of that. We look so much in other directions. We look so much within ourselves. How often, friends, as Christians, we try to encourage ourselves by looking to our own experience. Our own feelings. Are we encouraged by that? No we are not. It's by meditating upon God. His character. His glory. His beauty. That we find encouragement. The more we think of Jesus. The more we think of the Lord. The more our faith is strengthened. Behold your God is, we meditate on God, we think about God's character, but also we think about God's works. God is not just uh, an unmovable being. God is the God who intervenes, who comes. Behold your God has come. That's a work of God. That's something that God is doing for the well-being of his people. He comes. And that's what Moses had to say to the people of Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. Jehovah, the God who was, who is, and is to come, has finally come. The one who has made the heaven and the earth has come to your rescue, to help you, to save you, to deliver you. And so when the people are called to behold their God... They are pointed to the one who does things for them. Their Redeemer, their Savior, their God. The one who saves has finally come. And so as God's people, we, we sing the Psalms. And have you noticed that often the psalmist remembers in his singing... The works of God in the past. He's beholding who God is in some of the Psalms. In other Psalms, he beholds what God has done and he finds encouragement and he is strengthened to trust in God again for future deliverance. But also, when we think about behold your God as our meditation, is also his covenant. The author doesn't say, behold God, behold the Lord, behold Jehovah. He says, behold your God. He's your God because you are his people. And you are his people because he's your God. He's not a God, he's not even the God of God's coming to you. It is your God. A God that has committed himself to you. A God who is in a covenant relationship with you. A God that knows you. A God that you know. A God you are related to. Is the God of your father. The God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. The God who revealed himself to Moses. The God of David. Your God. And how often, friends, we lack trust in God because we miss this. We might think about the attributes of God. How glorious God is. How loving God is. And yet we do not find comfort and encouragement because we don't apply those glorious attributes to us. Yes, God is... Righteous And God is perfect. And God is victorious. And God is loving. But we don't apply these beautiful things to us. We don't think of God's righteousness as our righteousness. We don't think of God's salvation as our salvation. We don't think of God as our father. We have missed, we have forgotten that God is our God. And if God is with us, who can be against us? God is our God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is beyond understanding, the one who is never weary, is our God in Christ. So, Behold your God is our message, Behold your God is our meditation, but thirdly, Behold your God is also our joy. The people have been told about captivity. And when captivity happened, the Shekinah, the glory of God, left the temple. And that meant that God had left the people. The people were without God. God was not on their side. That's why they were taken. That's why they were defeated. God was not with them anymore. God had left them. God had abandoned them. The people were on their own. And therefore they experienced defeat, imprisonment, captivity. But now the message for the people is Your God, the God you've been unfaithful to The God that you had failed The God has come Your God is back Here is your God And that's the believer's joy That God has come back The Shekinah has refilled the temple again The God who defends us Who is powerful and almighty Is With us fighting our battle again. We are not alone. God is with us. And that's the believer's joy, isn't it? There are moments in our Christian experience when the Lord draws near to us. When God is not just a word, when God is a person, when God is real. There are occasions, in our experience, when we see something of God. When we feel God's in our life. When His word speaks to us. When prayers, it's a little bit easier than usual. And that is our joy. When God is present, that is our joy. When God draws near to us, that's what makes us happy. And our greatest complaint as believers is that we don't enjoy that as often as we would and we should. We often live as if there is no God. God is just an appendix to our life; He's not the center and circumference of it. And because we tend to go astray, away from God, he in His mercy comes to us. And the message of, to the people of God is you have tried to go away from God. You have tried to leave God behind, but He's running after you. He has come to you. You won't go to Him, but He will come to you. And here we are this morning, friends. When we think of church, We think about a sermon We think about the Psalms We think about the prayer We think about the minister We think about our brothers and sisters And very often the last thing we consider When we come to church Is God Is that God is going to be there God is with us this morning That's the promise He has promised to be wherever His people are And where we are and there are Sundays, there are Lord's days When God's coming is felt by His people And those are happy Sundays When we, when the Lord comes to us When the Lord meets with us When we see something of Him That is a foretaste of what heaven Is going to be. It can be a psalm, can be a sermon, can be a part of a sermon, can be the Bible reading, and God draws near to us in that way, and we rejoice. We rejoice. That's what revival is. When there is revival, it's not that the minister has worked harder on his sermons, but that he has learned how to communicate better the word. That God has come to his people. That God has come. Behold your God. But also, it is our joy, not just because God is present, but because when he comes, he comes to care. And so, in verse. 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. When, probably when you were young, you were told by your mom, when daddy comes back from home, you are going to be in trouble. I didn't need that, my mom was enough trouble for me, I didn't fear my dad as much as I feared my mom. But the coming, sometimes we shows the coming of someone to trouble. And often as Christians, when we think of the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, we think of trouble, we think of judgment, we think of the great tribulation, we think of standing before God naked in our sins. And yet, in, in, in the case of Isaiah 40, the coming of God is not a coming to judge the people, it's a coming of God to care for his people. The good shepherd is coming. The the shepherd king Hezekiah had failed his people. His father before me had failed. His son later Manasseh, he was going to fail them. The people were like sheep without a shepherd. So God comes. The good shepherd comes. Because the youngest shepherd wouldn't care for them. He comes to them. And because they didn't look after, He does look after them. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. These are not threatening words. It's not the butcher coming to slaughter the lambs. It's the lamb that comes to gather them, to provide for them, to care for them. He will carry them in His bosom. All this is the language of love and care for His people. The coming of God Brings joy to his people Because as he comes He brings blessing to us He doesn't come to judge and destroy He comes to seek and to save Those who are lost But also there is His kingdom He comes with might His arm rules For him He comes to rule He comes to Fight For us To defeat all our enemies Remember the cult is one of The people being in captivity The people being under judgment The enemies of God's people Are triumphant But God comes Not just to alleviate their struggles And their trials He comes to deliver them From all their trials From all their enemies That's why There was so much expectation At the first coming of Jesus that when the Messiah comes We're going to be free from the Romans Free from all those that hate us And cause us to suffer God is coming to save us And, and, and this is the joy We live in a world that is sad Beyond sadness We're saddened by the evil all around us Saddened by the evil within us the warfare, the spiritual warfare we're in is soul consuming. We're often broken by our own wickedness and the weakness we see all around us. And as Christians, we long for the day when the Lord comes and He defeats all the enemies of our souls. When sin will be no more. When death will be gone. When the devil. And all the evil minions on his side will be defeated once and for all. We long for the kingdom of God. We long to see this world becoming the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold your God is our joy. But then finally is also our Redeemer. Behold your God, is encouraging for us, brings joy to us, because it points us to Christ. God has come in Christ. The amazing things about the coming of Jesus is not just that God has sent a Savior, a Redeemer, a Mediator, a Provider, a Shepherd, a King. But the amazing things is that in Christ, God has come. Jesus said to to Philip, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As you behold me, you are beholding God. And so in the first coming of Jesus, these words are kept and fulfilled. The apostle could say to the people, Look to Jesus. As you look to him, you are looking to God Here it is God God has come in the person of Christ He was the good shepherd Who gave his life For his sheep And that's not for the apostle But also for us He cares for us He provides for us But this of course will be Even more fulfilled At the second coming of Jesus When he will Deliver us From all our enemies and then, that's the message again. Here is God. Here is God. When Christ returns. Often the, the Old Testament speaks of the, the, the end of time as the day of the Lord. And and the the, the idea there is that the day when God comes, when God vindicates his people, when God delivers them from all their troubles, from all their sorrows. That's the expectation in Psalm 34. The the expectation of of God's people is that because God comes around us, because God is with us, he will provide for us, he will care for us, he will give us all that is good. And you see, that is the language of the new heaven and the new earth. As God comes, goodness and mercy will come with him. And he will give us all that is good. When God is with his people, when God returns to his people, he will give us all that is good and we will be finally free. I often say to to my people in Everton, one of the most incredible things about the the end of time when Jesus returns when his kingdom comes and we're going to be there in his presence is that sin will be no more. I can't imagine having my mind free from sin. Imagine having just pure holy thoughts. Imagine just having good, holy feelings. No corruption. No desire for evil. It's beyond our imagination. But that's what God is going to do. He's going to deliver us. Behold your God is our hope. We find hope in the first coming of Christ. Behold God has come in Christ to... Fulfill all that was necessary For our salvation For our forgiveness For our redemption And we look forward We look beyond To the second coming of Christ Here is God Delivering us From all the troubles And giving us peace The coming of God Is going to bring blessing To his people Then he close with a question is the Lord Jesus your God? Because if He's not your God and His coming is going to be trouble, it is going to be judgment and destruction. But if Jesus is your Lord, if He is your God, then His coming will bring joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank You that You have come in the person of Your Son. Uh, That you have met with us. That you have lived with us. That you have become one of us. So that we could have fellowship with you. We could be your people. And you could be our God. We pray, O Lord, that each and every one of us would find in Christ all that we need. That he would be our God and our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Now let us bring this meeting to a closure by singing from Psalm 23. It's the Scottish Psalter version. The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. of our Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God and the fellow